Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the podcast show. Today, my very special guest is Karen Klein-Galbraith. Karen is from South Surrey in BC. So welcome, Karen. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. So Karen is a life coach. She's a very busy mom. She's a fellow TEDx speaker, and we shared the stage just a few weeks ago now in Surrey. And she's a hospice volunteer, and she's looking forward to a new volunteer project that's coming our way at the local hospital in the neonatal unit. So Karen, thank you for coming on. Obviously, we've chatted a little bit before today. And today, because this podcast show is all about pain, we're going to talk about the interesting, often unwitnessed subject of emotional pain, something that you're very aware of and something you've a lot of experience. So do you want to just give us a bit of background about yourself? Like, where did you grow up and, you know, go to school and college and stuff? Born and bred in BC, so I'm pretty much a coastal girl through and through. Grew up uh, right here in the Lower Mainland. Uh, went to school here in the Lower Mainland, uh, elementary, high school, uh, and then continued on and did uh, my degrees over in Victoria. As you said, I am a busy mom with a full-time job, but also doing some life coaching because uh, I really wanted to be able to help other people in life and... Uh, especially as once I became a mom, you know, and life became so busy and it was really hard to reach goals and all sorts of new obstacles I was facing. So Mm. now I'm able to do that with the life coaching piece. So Karen, the subject matter tonight is emotional pain. How did you become aware of this aspect in your life? You know, I didn't really realize I had emotional pain. It took a bit for this to kind of come up for me. And when I was doing my studies at university and as I was kind of growing year over year was passing, I started to realize that I wasn't living life as completely as I could. I wasn't feeling as fulfilled as I could because I always felt this cloud of fears, anxiety hanging over me. And it was fears of the end of my life, dying, death. And every time I was around older people that were in their 80s, 90s, this anxiety would mount within me. And even if it was somebody close to me, I I couldn't be near them. And I realized that I was being judgmental and it was stopping me from living a full life, being able to give of myself to everybody equally. And again, like I said, it was fear-based. And that's ultimately what landed me in the hospice program to volunteer with people who were dying. Wow. So that's an extremely brave thing to do. You know, on one hand, you've got this fear of dying. And then the next thing, 
you're volunteering in a hospice. Like that's for our audience, this is a place where people go to die. It's probably the last place on earth you would think you'd run to. But as you know, and as I know, we got to face our fears, right? Yeah. We've got to face our fears, whether it's with pain, whether it's for life, whether it's for death, whether it's whatever it is, you know, we've got to face it. And all of us are included in this group. You know, whether you've got pain or no pain, we've all got fears in life. So just, you know, how did you do it? You know what? I think with everything, there's a breaking point. And with everything, we get to a point where we get fed up. Whether we realize we're getting really frustrated and fed up, I think I just got to a point where I was like, I got to figure out a way to face this. And I became almost curious. Like I had to, you know, often hear those, you know, there's nothing to fear, but fear itself. And, you know, all these kind of quotes that are out there. And I was really curious to face this fear and see what was on the other side. And was it really something to fear? And how could I do this? So when I started looking into volunteering in both hospitals with long-term care patients and people that were elderly and ill and Alzheimer's, dementia, but also hospice, I found out that there were programs that included using your pets, bringing your pets along with you. So I actually entered into the pet therapy program because I felt a little bit safer knowing that I had somebody with me, albeit my dog, but I had the animal there as a bit of a buffer, right? A kind of a social catalyst. Everybody that's a dog person or that has a dog that goes for a walk can pretty much agree with me when they say, when people pass you on the street, they don't say hello to you. They say hello to the dog. So I was pretty <laughs> sure that using the dog in this way was going to be a safe bet. And it was. Excellent. So, you know, I've got two dogs myself and, um, I've often looked at them as one of my greatest teachers <laughs> in yeah. life. And here you are with your dog entering into the world of hospice. So what kind of dog was that? You know, what was their name and stuff? So her name was Iluka and she, she's a whippet. So beautiful, gentle spirit was wonderful for both the hospitals, but in particular the hospice setting. I ended up in hospice after my dad actually passed away. He spent a day and a half in the local hospice. And that was when the switch turned for me in terms of really wanted to spend more time in hospice. And Whippets, if anybody knows Sighthounds, they are a very, very gentle breed. And it was just perfect. And in hospice, a lot of times connecting with the, the patient is very, very difficult because they're in those very final stages of life. But the very meaningful connections that I made were oftentimes with the families. And families would come in grandchildren would come in to say goodbye and they're dealing with their own sort of emotional pain of loss and grief and they're on the heels of bereavement and to be there with an animal to give them a bit of comfort but also to distract them you know they smile people say puppies and babies turn heads right you walk into an office with a puppy or a baby everything stops and it's kind of the same in hospice when they know the dog is there everything stops. Everybody kind of comes to the kitchen or the TV room to pet the dog. And uh, it started to make me feel good inside that not only was I giving back and I entered the program because I wanted to give back. I wanted to volunteer and do something for those people. But truly, Wayne, the benefit was far, far greater for myself. And so healing for this, as you say, emotional pain that I didn't really fully realized was there. 
So can you just describe a little bit, like, was there a breaking through point where it vanished, this fear of going into the hospice with these dying people and family suffering around you? Yes. And I'll tell you a bit of a story. It's kind of the subject of the woman I speak of in my TED Talk, because that was a really pivotal moment for me when I was with the dog. It was actually our first day in there. And uh, I got to the first door and I looked inside and I was just, all I saw was a woman laying there, willowy, frail, colorless, staring at the ceiling because it's all she could do. She couldn't see us. And I just, my stomach just sunk. And I just said, I can't do this. There's just no way, not my first person. And I actually started to back away. And it was then when I backed away that I saw her name on the door, realized she's a human being. Like, what am I doing? But I still couldn't do it. That fear was too great. And I just couldn't do it. And as I started to walk away, I heard her call out to me that she wanted to pet the dog. And I was just crushed. Like it just gutted me. I realized in that moment, I say I'm not a judgmental person. You know, I'm kind, compassionate. I mean, only a compassionate person would put themselves out there to volunteer in hospice. But yet I'm standing at the doorway of this woman's door who, you know, she needs to feel connected to somebody while she's dying. And I just, I can't do it. So, you know, I take a deep breath and I stand at the door and I assess what I've just done. And at that moment, the nurse actually comes by and and mentions to me that she's 101 years old. And a part of me is going, wow, like, that's amazing. But another part of me is thinking, wow, she's going to be 102 by the time I get in there because I, I can't do it. And then the dog kind of, like you said, they teach us things. And I Luca, my whippet, she kind of leaned up against me, gave me a bit of a nudge. And, and I really felt like it was her saying, you know, mom, she needs us. Like we got to get in there. It's why we're here. So it was her that kind of helped push me through that door. And it was when I entered the room that I really felt the life because her room told me an incredible story. It was filled with children's drawings and mementos and you'll appreciate a big Union Jack flag over her bed. It was beautiful. And that was when I kind of really quieted my death anxiety, quieted that emotional pain, realized that she is a human being. And just like every newborn baby that enters the world through labor needs to be held. This woman who is dying needs somebody near her as she's dying. And that was it really. Like that's, yeah. Wow. So you kind of just had to face it. You had to walk through the door uh, Luca was there with you and you started to just build a connection. And what was the, the lady's history like? How long was she married and what did she do for a career? Funny enough, from initially seeing her and thinking she was on her last minutes because she really looked like she was dying, uh, she was resting. And, and when I got in there and I started to get to know her, we did talk sometimes. And we a lot of times talked, we a lot of times didn't talk. A lot of times we sat in silence and that was a big thing for me. It was really hard for me to learn how to sit with somebody and not communicate because everything about our culture, when you think about our culture, we come together around tables of food and we talk. And when you sit with somebody, we feel like there's a need to fill the void or fill the air and make some noise. And I sat in rooms with her and others like her. And sometimes I held their hands, but sometimes we just sat in complete silence. However, this lady, and her name was Frida, was 
wonderful. She was a beautiful person. And you wouldn't believe she was married for 75 years. I do joke that it was to the same man. (laughs) Great, good girl, good girl. She had five children and great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren as well. They didn't visit often, though, because they didn't live in BC. In fact, they lived out of country. So she had a new network of people that became her family, and I realized I was becoming one of her family members because we were the only ones that visited her regularly every Saturday, 10 a.m. for five months. And one of the wonderful things I found out about her was that she was a veterinarian and she loved dogs. And I thought, of course, you saw us on that first day without even seeing us. And she told me, everybody used to call her the dog whisperer. The, um, her family actually put a bench up at the local dog park in her honor. And it's a bench that we knew well because it's a dog park we visited a lot. In fact, I had to tell her that it was the that bench unfortunately got peed on a lot of times by my dog, but um, she was quite happy about that. Yeah, she was a wonderful person and I felt honored to be able to be with her in the end. And it filled me up in a way that I realized that was what was missing for me. So in the beginning, when you asked me about emotional pain and when did I realize that I had this, I didn't really realize it until I got it back and I kind of stepped through it and I found it. And like I mentioned earlier, you asked me, how did I do it? You kind of got to pause sometimes in life. Life is really fast paced nowadays. And uh, you kind of have to, you know, revisit your core beliefs and your values and use them as your guide and your compass, because we often get led astray and uh, we often get led astray by our fears. And I had to do that. And then again, I used the dog. I knew that the dog Mm. would help in that way. and, And she certainly did. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. So, you know, you, you've been doing this volunteering for a little while now. And is this fear gone? No. What I can say is that it is a lot less prominent, but it's not gone. I mean, I still fear death. I still fear that one day I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. We're all going to die. But it's not as loud and blaring as it was. And oftentimes those fears, they scream in our heads. In the same way, as you know, from a physical pain perspective, how physical pain screams in your head. So yeah, it's a lot quieter. And I feel like the experience with her and others like her have been so fulfilling and enjoying that it made me really want to be there. It's made me want to do it more because that curiosity of what was behind my fear, it was pure magic. The magic of truly meaningful connections, which in today's society, we've kind of lost that. You know, we've lost the ability to sit and even listen to a friend wholeheartedly without having 10 other things going on in our brain. You know, when I step in and sit with people in hospice, I'm there for them. I hold space for them completely, whether we're talking or not. And I'm not thinking about anything else. I'm not thinking about, you know, what my son is doing or what I'm making for dinner tomorrow night or when I get home or I wonder if my husband's walked the dog. I don't worry about any of that stuff. And I think it's, um, it's been a great lesson for me to help me just uh, pause. And I can see things a lot more clearly and I can see other fears. And I approach all things in life a little bit differently now. 
Wow. So by stepping into something that you fear, you literally get released beyond it into like a new world. It's new and different and you can take on maybe different things and um, your boundaries are, are stretched. And yeah. thus not only you become a better person, but other people get the benefit from you, from mm -hmm. the breaking through yeah. and just facing it, which is beautiful. Yeah. It's very enlightening. And it's very, um, like I said, that, you know, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. I see truth in that now. I really do. Because the fear for me, like fears, I mean, a lot of people can probably relate to the fact that you know, whether your fear is, you know, jumping out of an airplane or heights or snakes, spiders, whatever it is, everybody's fears are very legitimate. They can spawn in our brains into these giant mountains. So that term, uh, that phrase, nothing to fear but fear itself. I, I see a lot of truth in that now, having experienced this myself. Okay, so just from your story, just think about the audience for a minute. What advice would you give people that are facing, say, big fears in their life right now? or small fears? You know, I would ask them to kind of take a step back, sit down, spend some time with yourself and just ask yourself a few questions. Okay, what exactly is it that I'm fearing? Not so much the person, it's themselves that's dying, but try to identify what the feeling and the thought is that you're fearing. And then from that, try to really rationalize, like, is this a realistic fear? And is this something that you're willing to day in and day out, dwell on and, and let mount and build? And then ask yourself, kind of like I did, is how or what would make it easier to face this fear? So in my scenario, I use the dog. And in some scenarios, it might be you know, asking a friend to join you in whatever the fear might be. If it really is a fear that you want to kind of defy, conquer, whatever it might be. But I really think that we just need to slow down and take a deep breath. And, you know, is the fear that I'm fearing, is it a rational fear? Or am I just being crazy? Am I blowing this out of proportion? Is this really realistic? And fair enough, some fears are. And if they are, or if they aren't, again, like I said, what are the things that you can try to do, even baby steps, to inch yourself towards getting a bit closer to that fear? Because truly what is behind that fear is likely something magical. Wonderful. Wonderful. I mean, my son is, I, I got to tell you a story. My son is seven, and every summer we would go to the water slides, and he would get so excited in the car, and... Then when we, we would arrive and we'd go inside and he's excited, he's got a swimsuit on and then he would get to the top of the slide and he would look at me and go, mommy, I can't do this. And he'd have a big cry and it was just that mounting fear, right? Like he's just like going, going, going. And then my husband would say, come on. And we'd go down with him. And always after that first ride at the park, every summer, he would get down the bottom of it and look at me and be like, that was awesome. And he would run right back up to the top of that slide and he was on it for hours. You know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah. like, yeah. you think about even those childlike fears, right? Everybody mm -hmm. fears something. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes what we're really fearing is just the thought of the fear. There's, there's really nothing a lot mm -hmm. of times to that fear. Yeah, I, lo I love your story. I love your, your message. One step at a time, basically a thought. That's what we're fearing. There's a thought at the end of the day. Exactly. And uh, we can all 
face it and take one step at least forward. And beyond it is the magic or the potential magic of a new world or a new reality. Some, and sometimes some people have to ask themselves, you know, is this fear endangering me? Like, am I actually in danger here? And a lot of times when you answer that question, then that is the one question that can help you get closer to conquering that fear as well. Because many times the fear that you're fearing, you think is very life-threatening, but when you really kind of break it down, it's not. And that's usually what will help you move forward. Well, listen, thank you so much for sharing your story about uh, Luca and Frida and also about your son, you know, and that perfect little example as a child. Because I think um, this is relevant to all of us, no matter what we're facing in life, the next thing around the corner that we may know about or we may not know about. So um, I really do appreciate us talking about a subject that's maybe less talked about than the physical pain. We all know about physical pain, but emotional pain is just there. In fact, the definition of pain is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience. Mm -hmm. So therefore, half the definition is emotional pain. And you cannot remove that from the experience of pain, whether you like it or not. So I think all of us with have pain or had pain, there's an element of that and it's maybe hidden. And, you know, if, if audience is listening to this and they're thinking about themselves, I strongly encourage you go to a counselor or your family doctor or a psychologist and, you know, have a conversation about that. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that would also help with the physical element of dealing with pain. It's definitely been true in my life as well as I've had to face physical pain with my knee and my chest. So listen, to wrap this up, I'd love to share the website for your TED Talk because it's amazing. And um, I'll just share it because I know what it is. It's capital T-E-D-X and then bearcreekpark.ca. And um, Karen, do you know how, how far on in the recording that you are in the eight-hour day that's been recorded there? I think I'm at about six. 645. 6.45. Okay, excellent. I know for our viewers, by the time they get this, it will be live on the TED website. So under your name, Karen Klein Galbraith, and TED Talk. What's the title of your talk? Humor and Heart from Hospice, Lessons from a Little Dog. Wonderful. Well, listen, I wish you all the best with furthering, volunteering, giving back to society and uh, your future life coaching. You know, what's your, what's your website for that? KarenKlein.ca. Oh, that's easy. Okay. Yeah. And then also the best in the NICU unit at the neonatal unit in Surrey Memorial. Thank you. Yeah, I can't wait for that. Babies, equally as important to uh, feel connected and be attached to human beings. So start of life and the end of life, very well, similar. Well, there we go. There we go. Well, well, listen, thank you so much for coming on today, sharing some personal stories. And I hope our audience liked it. It was a little bit different from the usual. And it's great to expand what we're talking about here so that more and more people can get some insight and help and so they can move forward with their pain journey as well.